Now, this message that I'm going to bring today came through lots of, if I'm being honest, stress, anxiety, nerves, and ultimately joy and excitement. I went through a lot of different emotions with it. The last two, I was pretty sure about what God was telling me to do. And about a month ago, Josh, we decided that this would be kind of what, whatever God led me to do. And it's kind of, it's not going to be in a series, it's going to be a one-off. So I was praying about it, and I thought that this is it, this is what God wants me to preach on. So I did half the sermon, studied for it, and something just didn't sit right. It just wasn't, and I knew, and it just I kept hitting this wall. And it wasn't an uh, intellectual wall, it just was it's a spiritual wall. It, I just something in me wasn't, didn't feel right about it. So then I moved on to something else. I prayed about it. Lord, what is it that you want me to preach on this morning? And I thought that there was another thing, and oh, I just started getting frustrated. With the youth, we're going through the book of Acts. We started it back in, at the end of July, 1st of August, and we're going through it chapter by chapter. And sometimes it'll take two Sundays to go through a chapter, but I ain't got nothing but time with them. I got at least, you know, four or five years, I guess, even if a year. If it's going to teach them God's word better than to just briefly skim over it, I'd rather dig into it with them. So on Sundays, we dig into the Bible very deep. And in Acts, is something that I've been studying, and I want to make sure that I have my X's and O's ready when I go in there because the youth will ask you the craziest things. I mean, they really test your knowledge. And that sometimes it just gets more like, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. But it, and it kept coming back to me. We're in, verse, we're in chapter 8 right now in the youth when we're going through it. Yeah, Aubrey's like, 8, I, I got it. Um, but we went over the lame man and the beggar where Peter and John, they walk up to him, and he's at the beautiful gate. And that just kept coming back to me. And I thought, Lord, I don't, that just doesn't excite me. That, that, that message, it's not, it doesn't feel exciting because I like something to feel exciting. And then it's just that conviction hit me. It's like, it doesn't matter what you feel. This is what you need to preach. So I said, okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to preach, and we're going to learn out of these verses. And as I started learning, as I started going further into other than what I taught them, I started learning things and seeing things that I hadn't seen before. And it, was, it just opened my eyes to other, to other things. And I told Josh about a few of these things, which we'll get into this morning, that I'd never thought of before. And like a lot of those sermons or lessons you learn, especially those as a kid, like David and Goliath, Noah's Ark, those, this was one of those that I'd known gr- growing up. I'd heard about this, so it's like, how do I make this new? It, God said, you don't have to make it new. There's nothing you can do that hasn't already been said in 2,000 years about it, but we're going to be learning today from Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10, the lame beggar being healed. Spoiler alert, he gets healed, but uh, I'm going to read all of it, and then we're going to go into it, and we're going to break it down verse by verse this morning. So if you would read with me, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. 
And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So we'll be going over that this morning. And as we look at verse 1, we see that Peter and John, they had no problem in keeping their Jewish traditions of the times of prayer. Because they said they went in at the ninth hour. Now in the Christian Standard Bible or the CSB version, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So that means that the ninth hour is at 3 p.m. So that's when we know that they're going up there at this time. So, and we also read that this man was born without the ability to walk. If we see in verse 2, it says, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So we see that he was born, not able to walk, and he was carried by everybody else. He always got carried there. They laid him at this gate. And it was, uh, I guess, behoove him to go to this gate because people went there, they went in a giving mood. When they went to the temple, that's what they were going there for, to give to God, to go to pray. So when they go there, they had this in mind. And that was a status thing too. Look how much I can give. So he knew that was a, probably a pretty good place to go and have people laid down at. And that, that's smart of his, on his part. And he solely depended on everyone else. He couldn't... And they didn't have the governmental system they have now set up to where they can take care of someone that's disabled. He solely depended on his survival on everyone else, on their, on their mercy, on their charity of others. So he needed, to go, he needed, he needed help going everywhere. He was, he was used to this condition. It's all he knew. He was born this way. So it's not like he knew any better. But all he had to do was look around and see that it could be better. He'd say, well, I wish I could walk. I wish I could walk into the temple. I wish I could go to work. Just by simply watching others, he watched others take for granted the one thing that could only come to him by way of a miracle. There's no other way. There's no other way he's going to be made whole unless it's a miracle. Now, this brings up an interesting thought, and I said that there were things that I hadn't thought of before that I had come to, to light, I guess, getting some insight on. During Jesus' ministry, during his three-year ministry on earth, he went to that temple. He went to that very temple. And in the middle of verse 2, it says, whom they laid daily. We also know that this man was 40 years old because in verse 22 of chapter 4, it says, for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So we know this guy was 40. So needless to say, the people that went in that temple daily, they knew this guy. And he knew them. They probably all knew each other pretty well if they seen him every time they're going in there and they're always laying this guy at the gate. So he probably knew him pretty well. And chances are that he heard of Jesus, and he heard of Jesus' miracles. Because they're all, it's, they're all around in Jerusalem. He's heard of Jesus. He's heard of the miracles that he's performed. And this lame man, he had two very understandable questions that he could have asked God. Very understandable questions that anybody in here would. The first one would be, why me? That's the first line of questioning. Why me? There's a lot of people that have medical conditions, things happen in their life, where they'll ask, why me? And I'm sure there's plenty of people in here that's got that on their heart, on their mind, why me? This guy had the same thing. Like, why was I born this way? Why can't I walk into the temple like everyone else? Why can't I be the one that carries others? Why am I the one that has to be carried? Why can't I be the one helping other people? Why am I the one who has to depend on everyone else? That's hard. When you depend on other people, we're a very prideful nation. And I'm, I'm, I ain't gonna lie, I'm, I can be very prideful. 
And I was one of the people that I prided myself on how hard I could work. You, you, might, you might be smarter than me, but you're not going to outwork me. That's not going to happen. And that's pride. That's pride. This guy didn't have that. He didn't have that choice. He didn't have that option to be prideful. He had to put all that aside just so he could eat. Now, the second line of questioning that he would have, that I could see him having, if he knew Jesus, if he had heard of his miracles, would be, why not me? Why not me? And this is him, I guess, in a monologue towards Jesus in his mind. You cleanse lepers. The blind receive sight. People were healed from a distance. You healed a paralyzed man. Someone touched your clothing and was healed from a distance. Sorry, someone, uh, the lady, when when she touched the hem of his garment and was healed, just by touching his clothing, she was healed. You cast out demons, you raised the dead to life. You fed thousands when it looked impossible. You turned water into wine. You walked on water, but you walked right by me. That temple daily, you walked by me every day. You saw me, you knew I was there. You, can, you could have created a miracle for me. Why not me? Why didn't I get the miracle? Do people see someone in their lives that see someone else getting so blessed, but they say, why not me? Am I not faithful to you, God? Why not me? I'm here every day. I'd love to go in the temple. I'd love to praise you. Why not me? I heard of your death. I heard that you had died. So I guess I'll never get to walk again. I guess I'll just sit out here outside this temple, laying on the ground, asking people for money as they walk in to worship you like I have every day since the day I was born. I guess that's what I'll do. Now we're going to read in verse 3, where it says, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So the lame man, he sees two guys about to enter the temple. And he asked them for money. That's Peter and John. He's asking them for money. When we pull up to a stop sign, this happened to me a lot in California. Uh, when I was in the military, I was stationed in 29 Palms, California, and I stayed a year afterwards. And I lived around close to Huntington Beach. And you go to a lot of stop signs, there's a lot of people that are needing money. They just, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of homeless people. And if you didn't have anything to give them, because if I had it on me, I would try to give them, help them out. But if you knew you didn't have a single thing on you, around you that you could give them, what's the last thing you want to do? Make eye contact with them. Because you know, if you look at them, it's like, oh no, oh no. I feel so bad, I don't have anything to give them. Like, all I have is my debit card. That's all I use. I don't really have cash on me anymore. I don't have any food. I mean, what am I going to do? You just feel very, very guilty. Well, in verse 4, it says, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. He told him, he demanded him to look at us. So I imagine at this point that that lame man, when he sees them saying, when he hears them say, look at us, he's thinking, all right, he wants me to look at him. He's about to hook me up. I'm about to get some money. I might leave early today. I'm going to have someone pick me up and take me home early. And in verse 5, and in verse 5, it says, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So at this point, he's respecting something. He's saying, yep. This is about to be good. This is about to be good. They're, they're coming towards me. He said to look at them. I'm, I'm about to get some money. I'm set for this evening, and then I'm going home, and I'm going to eat like a king. It's, it's about to be good. But in verse 6, it says, But Peter said, I have no silver or gold. But what I do have, I give to you. Now, at that very moment, I imagine that lame beggar just felt deflated, angry, 
uh, what? You, you told me to look at you. You told me, you demanded that I look at you, and then you proceed to tell me that you don't have any money, that you're broke, that you don't have any silver or gold, but you'll give me what you do have. Well, that couldn't be a whole lot. Because if you don't have any silver or gold, you don't have any money, you're broke. What are you going to be able to give me that's going to help me out? That's right. <laughs> so that's, that's not what he was expecting. Is that safe to say? That's not what that lame man was expecting to hear from him at that moment. Was I don't have anything to give you, but I do have, I, I will give you. Not what he was expecting. Isn't that how our mind operates? How we, uh, we think money's going to fix everything? We think somebody's going to, we're about to receive a lot of money. Woo! We do. We honestly, I mean, we feel relief. If we knew all of a sudden, like, we had a relative pass away that we never heard of, and they said they left us $5.3 million, you're going to get happy. You're going to be like, wow, all my problems are solved. This is great. Am I right? Like, you'd be crazy not to get happy over something like that. Well, I've heard a saying, and I know a lot of you have heard it, and I'll let you finish it. More money, more problems more money more problems and I said well give me some of those problems <laughs> but honestly they couldn't be more evident even if you heard about how the lottery ruined my life have you guys heard of that well I'm gonna read a story a couple of these guys lives on here and the first one is uh David Edwards now I got this from a from a site this right here isn't me this isn't my writing this is me pretty much copy paste because I couldn't have done all this on my own but I got these two guys lives on here and I'm gonna read them to you David Edwards was a man who was employed and living with his parents in 2001 when he purchased one of four winning lottery tickets in a 280 million dollar Powerball jackpot he took his payout in a lump sum of 27 million dollars after taxes then he went on spending on a spending spree buying luxury cars 200 collectible swords, that's not what I would have bought with it, but he did, I guess that's okay, and luxury homes in Florida and California, and was estimated to have spent $12 million alone in the first year, $12 million in the first year. He even bought his own jet and had a personal pilot. Then David and his wife became heavy drug users, according to local reports. He became so sick from his addiction that he moved into a hospice in Kentucky where he died penniless at age 58. Last one is Alex Toth, who won $13 million from the Florida Lottery in 1990. He took his winnings and in installments, getting an easy, and if I'm lying, I'm dying, the amount that he got monthly was $666,666 a month. So, yeah, or a year, sorry, in a, a year. So if, I, if they said, oh, this is what's going to come out to annually, I'll say, give it to me in a lump sum. It's, I'm, not, I'm not going down that road. Along with his wife, Rhonda, he wasted no time splurging their cash on the large ticket items and jet-setting around the world, meeting celebrities like Oprah. Alex spent much of his winnings on a bad gambling addiction. He also never hired an accountant to deal with his taxes. And the couple were later charged with tax fraud, owing the state $2.5 million in overdue charges. They ended up filing for bankruptcy twice. Sadly, before, days before the case was set to go to trial, Alex died of a heart attack in 2008 at the age of 60. Now, these people, they were expecting money to fix all their problems. Well, is that what happened? Now, I know some of you are a lot smarter than that with your money, and you would invest it in things like that. But it also, with money, comes a temptation to make it your God, to make it your idol. If I was to win that $5.3 million, where would my attention be? 
Would that become my idol? That's where I'm going with it. Yes, it's a good thing, but is it? It depends on how you use it. These guys right here, they didn't use it that way. They thought it would fix their problems. They thought it would bring them joy and security. But all it brought them was pain, misery, anxiety, sickness, death. What they had expected would fix their problem. It was only a temporary fix. Now that is exactly why we are to ask Jesus what he wants, not what we want. Because if we got what we had, I thank God that I didn't get everything that I ever wanted. I'd be in a bad place if I did, and I wouldn't be happy. I may have been happy in the moment, but at 37 years old, if I'd have got what I wanted when I was 20, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I'm so glad and so thankful that God did not give me what I wanted. And it's even harder when it's something that it's a, when it's a good thing. Now let's go back to uh, the lame beggar when, where Peter says, I have no silver and gold. Now, some people, they think this is the worst thing that can be said in their lives. I have no silver and gold. I'm broke. I don't have a penny to my name. I've got kids, a wife, a house, but I don't have any money. That's the worst thing possible that could ever happen to them. I don't have any money. Well, I think it's, uh, it's a lot worse if, if and, and, oh, by the way, some churches, some churches, and, and I'm not going to say it's this church because I don't believe it is, but in some churches, they believe that the same saying is true, that the church has failed or is, is doomed for failure if they, can, if they can say that we have no silver or gold, that we have no money, our church is broke. But I say it would be worse if we didn't have the power to say in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a, there's a story. Oh, by the way, the reason I would say that is because that's where the real success is. It's not in how much money we have. The real success is in Jesus Christ. The real victory is in Jesus Christ. If he wants you to have a big explosion, it's going to happen. If he wants you to have an intimate group, it's going to happen. That's where the victory is at. You're supposed to seek his will, not yours. As a church, we're supposed to seek what he wants, not what we want. It may not look like it's something that the, everybody outside of here thinks it should look, but that doesn't matter because it doesn't matter. I'll get to that in a second about the world. That's coming. Back off. Rain it back. Get to it in a second. All right. Whew, I was about to go too, and I, that's, it's, on, it's on down the road. We'll get there in a second. All right. So the, there's a story, and I don't know if it's true or not. I've heard it said in sermons. And I wrote it down because I'd heard it a couple of times. And I thought, this is perfect. This is perfect for where it's at right now. Now, maybe true, maybe not. But it's about a humble monk walking, into a Roman Catholic, or walking with a Roman Catholic cardinal at a time in the Middle Ages when the Roman Catholic Church was at its height of power, wealth, and prestige. The cardinal pointed to the rich and ground surroundings and said to the monk, we no longer have to say, silver and gold have I not. The monk replied to him, but neither can you say, in the, power of Je- in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. That's not a good trade-off if you ask me. This is exactly what Peter tells the lame man in verse 6. When he, when he reaches out to him, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's exactly what he tells him. Because Peter and John and the apostles, they don't have any money. They don't have anything. But they have something that's much more valuable than that. They can say in the name of Jesus Christ, and anything can happen. Because God has given them that power. They've given the apostles that ability, that authority. I would much rather have authority from God than men's riches. Now Jesus, 
He knew this lame man all along. He knew he was at the temple. You think he didn't know? You didn't think he didn't know what was to come in his earthly ministry when he walked into the temple? Yes, he passed him by. But it was all done for a reason. This is the first miracle performed in the book of Acts. And it was done in the name of Jesus Christ. It's after he had died. And I can see it now. The religious leaders back then, they said, you've got to be kidding me. We just had this man crucified. We just killed him. That should have been over with. And now his followers are coming around and they're just, they're healing people, performing miracles just by simply using his name. Just by using his name. You tell me that's not power. If I was the religious leaders of the day, I can promise you I'll start rethinking what my view on Jesus Christ is. Like, okay, well, I need to start knowing who this man is. We had him crucified. Now people's using his name just to heal other people. I would start reevaluating, and I'd probably be talking to the apostles. Hey, tell me what you know. Well, at this point, I'd definitely be questioning my defiance of Christ. And what may have been shocking, what may have been shocking to, the, or to everyone that was watching the miracle being done, because I promise you, if I walked up, and even now, as believers in Jesus Christ, as saved people, as the Christians that are in here, it would still be pretty shocking if you seen somebody that was laid out, and all of us knew this person for the last 30, 40 years, and somebody walks up and says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, grabs and this guy just jumps up out off, off the floor. That's pretty shocking. So for those, the people that was watching, that was hanging around in that day, that was very shocking. It was a surprise to them, but it was not so much a surprise, not so much a shock for Peter and John, the other apostles. Not so much a shock, because in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Jesus is speaking to them, the apostles. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than, those, than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So Peter, he used the name above all names, Jesus Christ, to raise this man from his lameness. He used the name above all names. Only expecting money, the lame man, he received more than he could have ever dreamed possible. He's thinking, oh, I'm going to get money. I can see him get disappointed. He got something much better than money. Much better than money. Now, verse 7. Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. It was immediate. It was instant. It wasn't a gradual process. It wasn't a long physical therapy. It didn't take weeks and months. About five years ago, I told Bella I was going to tell this, but about five years ago, maybe six, five, six, I had a shoulder surgery, and they went in four places, and I also had a torn bicep that they had to go and repair, all on this right side. And that was, and I've had other surgeries, by the way, and this was the worst by far. I've had a bilingual hernia surgery. I broke my jaw in three places, I've, and I had my mouth wired shut for three months, dropped to 130 pounds. I've had a lot of different things happen. That shoulder surgery was the worst by far. And this goes up against the, the hernia surgery where they went in both sides. And when I, when I had to get up in the morning, I had to roll out of bed because I couldn't lean up. I couldn't cough. I couldn't sneeze. It was horrible. But this was worse. The physical therapy part of it was awful. After I got out, they put me in a sling that I had to stay in for a few weeks. I don't remember how long it was. By that time, my arm had shrunk down to where it looked like it was that big around. Well, then we start the physical therapy. And I couldn't hardly even move my arm all the way out. That just about killed me just to be able to stretch my arm out like that. Well, it was about a month later I could do this. I could do this. 
then they started making me do these others. I didn't realize how much your shoulder affects your whole side of your body. It's terrible. And three months later, I got full range of motion. I can finally do it. It hurts pretty bad, but I can do everything. And they had me doing these things about lifting weights and these weird little strings and things like that. And one of the workouts was a broomstick, and they took the broom off of it, and it's just a stick. And I had to bench press it, so many reps, so many sets. And I kid you not, with that broomstick, I'm sitting here doing this. I mean, I'm really fighting, and I finally get it up there. And Bill would laugh at me every time I did it. And I would get mad, like, leave me alone. I'd go away. <laughs> it was very embarrassing, very embarrassing. But I would get it up there, and I'd finally do it as many reps as many times they told me to. And it took even longer to get my arm to look like, where it didn't look like a little weird chicken wing, like where it looked like my other arm. So I'd be wearing long sleeve shirts. It happened right after spring. I was wearing long sleeve shirts and sweating to death because I didn't want somebody to see my little arm walking around. So, yeah, that's the truth. That wasn't part of my sermon, by the way. But, yes, that, that happened. And I'm sure that a lot of people in here has had surgeries kind of like that, about that same extent, and maybe worse. We're taking it. And see, it took years, years before I could actually use it normally. And now, five years later, in the youth, when I was at youth camp, I told them they begged me. It was a three on three tournament basketball. Not, and some of you in here were in it. And I said, I, I got one or two good shots in me. And after that, I'm done. I'll just be a passer. I'll be like Steve Nash. I'm just around the back. You know, I'm not going to be able to shoot it anymore. And, or John Stockton, that's better. Um, we, uh, so I, I, I got on the tournament with them. First shot was a beautiful shot. Biggest dude out there, right over the top of him, nothing but net. And everybody's like, oh, it's like that? And I was like, yeah, it's like that. Next shot, backboard, nothing else. And so I went straight back to passing. It killed me after I shot that. But, and that's, that's five years later. That's five years later. Now this man, he hadn't walked a single step in his entire life. Think about the chicken wing on my arm. Think about his legs. Why that big around? Because he's never used them. He didn't have to. He couldn't. With a lame man, without walking a single step from the moment he was born, at the name of Jesus Christ, immediately jumped up, leapt up, ran around telling everybody how great God is and hugging on Peter and John, just clinging on to them. They know what had happened. Tell me that's not a miracle. If anybody's had a major surgery or knows somebody that has a disability, that's a miracle to be able in the instant, immediately, without pause, jumped up. That's a miracle. That's a true miracle. And nobody could deny it. We'll get to that here in a second. In verse 8, we read, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. So here we see that Peter didn't have to, he didn't have to take creatine and protein and take some steroids and drink raw eggs like Rocky Balboa just to get ready to pick this guy up off the ground. This guy could do it on his own. He just gave him the power by it, and he leapt up. Just like that. And when he got up, they didn't have to help him in there. He didn't limp in there like a football player or basketball player going to the locker room when they got injured. They wasn't going in there like this. Oh, thank you so much. This is great. And it takes a while. No, he jumped up and he left. He matched Peter and John stride for stride every, all the way like it had never happened. Like I said, a true miracle. And everybody else had known it too. Now, the second Peter grabbed him, his lameness and his weakness was immediately and completely gone. This enabled him to leap up and walk with them to the temple. Now, if, if, if not by now, if you can't tell, it's evident that the days of him being, having self-pity, why not me, why me, 
Why would you pick on me? Why was I born this way? That's gone. That's completely gone. He doesn't ask those questions anymore. And if it's not evident by now, Jesus didn't pass him by years ago without noticing him or giving him a second chance, a second glance. We know the truth of it. Jesus used this to bring glory to his name. That's why he waited. That's why he waited for that man to be healed. He was able to show everyone at the temple the power of simply using his name and the authority of the apostles that was given to them. So he not only, yeah, Jesus is going around and he performed so many miracles. And John, in the book of John, it says that there's not, enough, there's not enough books in the world. Like nothing can contain how much he'd done. We just got to see the highlights throughout the, throughout the gospels of when Jesus was here on earth. We just saw the good ones. He did way more than just that. Way more. But how awesome is it to be able to do something through his name that's just as powerful? Now, it's just a matter of timing. Now, if there's one thing that I know, if there's one thing that I know about people, especially me, I don't know about you, but for the most part, for most of us, it's patience. Patience and timing. We all have a problem, especially if it's a good thing. To wait on a good thing. Like, when is my ministry going to take off? Or when is my relative or my friend that's unsaved, when are they going to get brought to salvation? It's a good thing. That's not a bad thing whatsoever. There's nothing evil behind it. There's no selfish motive. It's for somebody else. Why has it not happened yet? Patience. Well, that good thing in life, like the case of the lame beggar, he had every reason to say, why not me? Well, I guess I'm getting passed by. It may be just because God is going to use it to glorify his name. And it's just not in your timing. He hears you. He sees you. Just like he heard and he saw him when he was alive here on earth with the lame beggar. It may be just so that he can glorify, use it to glorify his name. To be patient. Now, ultimately, it's not up to us to figure out the X's and O's of how it's all supposed to go down. The only thing that's up to us is to have faith in Jesus and God and his plan for our lives and surrender to it. Amen? As we're all, that's all we're supposed to do is to have faith in Jesus Christ. Find out what his plan is for our lives. Do that. Everything that he's commanded us to do, surrender to it. That's all we're supposed to do. In verse 9 we read, Sorry, I got to get a drink. It's already 10.35. Oh, I better hurry up. Whoops. Sorry. Um, in verse, should I speed this up, Josh, or should I just keep it going like I got it? There we go. All right. So you can blame him if you guys get hungry. All right. So now in verse 9, we read, all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now, there was a crowd of people that witnessed this, so this was a testimony of those people that were all around them. That's also another thing. It's a testimony. When he does something, we're not supposed to keep it to ourselves. Everybody's seen this thing. And as we finish our, verse in te in our text in verse 10, we see that he recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now these people, now they couldn't deny that a miracle had taken place, and the Jewish leaders couldn't deny that a miracle had taken place. We know this because in Acts 4, chapter 4, verse 16, it says, the Jewish leaders say, say this, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So even the Jewish leaders say, we can't deny what just happened. What are we going to do with these guys? So there's proof that a miracle had taken place. And now everyone there, everyone that had seen it, 
including the Jewish leaders, are more apt, they're more inclined to listen to what the apostles have to say. I just, listened, I just witnessed something truly amazing. Now everything that that man says from now on, I'm going to listen to what he has to say because I know that God is working through him by a miracle that I just witnessed. I, was, I wasn't originally going to read this, but last night I... Uh, let me get it. Last night, as I was reading through it, I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 16 through 22. Verse 16. Actually, I'm going to start in 15, because that's where the sentence starts. But when they commanded them to leave the council, this is the council telling Peter and John the apostles, hey, get out when we talk. Commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. What I really wanted to key in is on this right here. Verse 17. Verse 17. I wanted to key in on this. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to no longer speak any more to, any more to anyone in this name. And I thought of this right here, and I've seen it happen not long ago. And it, it made me mad. It re- and I mean, it's almost like, what, what, what do you do? What do you do about that? I was watching an interview on a, on a TV station, and it was interviewing an athlete. And it also happens to others, but just, and I've seen it happen in the past. But this time, as I was going through this, I thought, that's it. They was interviewing an athlete, and he's going through telling me how great he did and how many yards he had made, and then what does he do? He says, but thank you to my Lord and Savior, and before he can even get to it, they cut him off. Something happened, well, get back to the studio, and they went back to the studio, and they just said, well, that's great, and he did, had a great season, and they went right on and talking about what they were talking about. They cut him off. So then I looked it up, and there's this compilation of times where it shows of videos of people that as soon as they get to the word Jesus Christ, or they start to thank their Lord and Savior, they cut him off. They cut them off right at the point because they don't want to go any further. Don't dare use the name of Jesus Christ. It's okay. Hey, it's okay. You want to go feed the hungry? You want to put shelter over people that don't have homes? That's awesome. All those humanitarian things that you're doing, but don't you dare go and do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't you dare do that. Tell me that doesn't sound like today when that's happening when we're seeing interviews like that, when they're cutting them off. That passive-aggressive, uh-uh. Well, it's not so passive-aggressive anymore. The world today is that way. And if you watch, you don't even have to watch TV. You can just go outside. People almost curl back when you say Jesus Christ. You go out, you say that name. That's because Satan is the ruler of this world. And I don't want to be a part of it. I would rather be approved and accepted by God than approved and accepted by the world, than by men. Now, I titled the sermon, From Lame to Alive, for a reason. For a reason. The lame man here is you, and the lame man here is me. 
We're all born, and if you're a descendant of Adam, which last I checked we all are, you were born lame. I said, no, I'm not. I can get up and I can run out that door right now. I'm faster than you are. Maybe so. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritually lame. We are born spiritually lame from birth. It's the way we were born. We can't help it. It's all we knew. It was something that could only be changed by way of a miracle. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That miracle is Jesus Christ. That miracle is Jesus Christ. At the moment you called out to him, and this is for you Christians, for you that know you're safe, for you that have a relationship with Jesus, the moment you called out to him and reached out, he grabbed a hold of you. He filled you with his Holy Spirit. He pulled you out of your sin and shame and darkness. He pulled you out of eternity and hell and misery. He says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. What's worth more, silver and gold or an eternity with Jesus Christ? Now, you were once spiritually lame, but you're now alive in Christ. The lame man, he didn't get healed. The lame man didn't get healed. He wasn't down here. Like, oh man, oh cool, sweet. And he gets him, and he, well, right hand. And the Bible says the right hand, I've got to go to scripture. He picks him up. And he goes, oh man, this is so cool. I can actually stand up. Oh, I'm going to go back to what I was doing. Is that what he did? No, he absolutely did not. He jumped up. He leapt for joy. And what did he do? He went praising God. He went leaping, telling everyone about what had happened. When we're saved, it's the exact same thing. When we're saved, we're supposed to be filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, going and telling everybody else about Jesus Christ, going and proclaiming what he's done for you. You see what I'm saying? You see the connection? We're not supposed to sit back down like we're still lame. Like, oh, that's awesome, we're saved, this, this is great, and then just take a seat. That's not what we're supposed to do. God did not save you for that reason. You're supposed to go and tell everyone about him. That's the reason we went from lame to alive. We're alive in Christ. We're not lame anymore. We can get up, we can just take off running. We can get as close to him as we want to get. Because you can't get close enough to God. You can always get closer. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you are still a lame man. Maybe you're still spiritually dead. Maybe you know if you died today, you would not go to heaven. If you died today, you say, I don't know where I would go. Well, if you, if you tell me that, I can tell you you're not going to heaven. I don't know. I don't know. I might believe it. I might not. Well, Jesus Christ, he has his eyes fixed on you. He's had his eyes fixed on you, and he's saying, look at me. Look at me. He wants to lift you out of your sin and shame. He wants to lift you out of the darkness. He wants to lift you up and say, walk with me. Walk with me. Maybe you're someone who is saved, and you know of Christ's goodness. 
you've experienced the joy. You've experienced the, the immediate burst of going and proclaiming everything. But now you act like the lame man. Now you're like we talked about a while ago where you just, you just, eh. Maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ. Maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you need to join the church, be a part of something. Maybe you want to get involved more. All these things, with the most important obviously being if you're still spiritually lame. If you're dead spiritually, that means you're not saved. You've never called on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That, that's what you need to do. That's the most important. You're the most important person in the room, if that's you. Because you, you have the biggest problem of everyone in here. And trust me, it's a problem. The world will tell you it's not. The world will tell you it's fine. But it's not. Second is the people that have been spiritually reborn. But you act like you're lame. You want to be recommitted to Christ. Me and Josh will be up here. As soon as I say amen, that's your cue. Come up here. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray for someone. Maybe you want to get one of these notes right here and put a prayer for someone and put it on here. Throughout the week, I come in here and I pray over them. Every single one of them individually. I know Josh does too. So there are people praying over them. And I believe in the power of prayer. It is very powerful. It's not just something we do as Christians. We do it all to check mark. No, you don't do that. That's part of your relationship with Jesus. There's power in prayer. There's power in the name of Jesus. You know, I was thinking about that this morning. People are worried about demonic forces. You can walk in someone's house. You can get around someone that is evil, and you can feel it. You can go in their house, and you can feel something's not right. It's just that. It's just all over you. We don't have to fear that because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. When Jesus walked the earth, demons feared him. They would say, why are you here? Are you here to torture us? We have his spirit living in us. So we're to go out into that darkness and bring them into the light. Reveal the truth to them. We have so much power that we don't even know. God has given us more authority than we've ever even thought about exercising. Boldness, love, self-control, fruits of the Spirit. There's so much that we have at our disposal that we're not even aware of. If the worship team would come up here, I'm going to open up for invitation. I'll ask everybody to bow their heads. This is your time. If you aren't saved and you know you're not going to heaven, we don't know the day nor the hour. We, no one knows when Jesus is coming back, and we don't know when we're going to draw our last breath here on earth. One bad trip, one bad car accident, one bad doctor's visit, that's all it takes. We don't know. And if you're not ready to meet eternity, you need to take care of that today. Stop being the lame man in front of the temple looking at everybody else walk by. Jesus is sitting there looking at you. He's got his hand out. All you have to do is reach out and say, Jesus, save me. Help me. You're not alone. Jesus came to die for you. A terrible death for a glory of eternal life with him. 
Me and Josh will be up here. Any other problems outside that, we're up here for that too. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. We'll pray over you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Where all of our power and victory lies. Where we find strength. Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for this congregation. Lord, I'm not worried about numbers. I'm not worried about the outward appearance. I don't care what the outside of the cup looks like, Lord. All I care is about what the inside of the cup looks like. Lord, I pray that you would find us clean. Lord, I love you. I praise you. Honor and glory be to your name forever and ever. Amen.